This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. As we delve into the year 1974 on the time capsule, I asked Sonor, what is the most overrated invention of all time? Oh, can't you throw... What did you see out of interest? Well, I didn't really come up with anything. I started going through all the categories mm. of computer-related inventions, home appliances. They decided they were all really good. decided everything was really good. You know, because here's the thing. An invention is no good. It just falls by the wayside, doesn't it? I offered boomerang okay, to you, you know, and you, you poo-pooed you that. Blu-ray. Ah, uh, yeah. It missed it. Remember Can there was that whole thing about Blu-ray being the next big thing Correct. and then mm. it just kind of fell flat. Well, well, DVD players in general, yeah. they, they didn't have them. I mean, they didn't really have, they were kind of a, an in-between. Everyone's got affection for VHS. Yeah. DVD was the kind of, DVD was just waiting for digital to happen. Yeah, I mean, listen, they were great in that moment of the five or six years or whenever they were valid. Or was it longer than that no, when we used DVDs? Uh, DVD, no, they were a bit longer. Yeah. They were probably about mm, They were just years. too short-lived. Before they were, like you know, the, overpassed. The mini discs. Yeah. When I out there, remember the mini discs. It was the Walkman, the CD players, mm. and I got into the mini discs, and of course they lasted for literally eight months, and then it was obsolete. Well, when we talk about overrated inventions, I give you the yo-yo. Oh, like a good oh, yo-yo. come on. Come on. When you were a kid? Did you ever get a yo-yo and actually get it to work? Yes. Yeah. That difficult role. It's the most pointless <laughs> invention. Did you not get yours to work? No, I'd, I'd wrap the cord around it. It would then fall to the bottom and just stay there as I sort of yanked it up <laughs> with my wrist. Uh, and it wouldn't come back on the string at all. It just stayed there kind of twisting and kind of... <laughs> it was rubbish. Yo-yos are absolutely nonsense. Rubbish because you couldn't uh, use one. No, they are. They're all... No. They're, you only ever get a yo-yo in a Christmas cracker. It's poorly made. The mechanics of it are ill-conceived and they're overrated, in my opinion. And there's one thing that's more overrated than a normal-sized yo-yo is a giant yo-yo. <laughs> and that's exactly where we're going for our first story in 1974 because MIT professor James Williams led students in creating the world's largest yo-yo. It was a 35-pound contraption made of two bicycle wheels. He took it to the roof of a 21-storey building. He anchored the cord to a beam, hooked up a motor... God knows why, which jerked the line rhythmically like a finger, apparently, and let the yo-yo drop. The wheels, which revved at a thousand times a minute, reached a speed of more than 80 miles an hour, and the yo-yo apparently managed to climb... Even this one didn't work. It climbed two-thirds of the way back up the 400-pound nylon cord before it collapsed again, and that was it. Game over. Wait, so it only went up and down once? Yeah, and that was enough for it to earn the title of the world's largest yo-yo. And apparently offers came flooding in for TV, for radio. There was all this intrigue over this enormous £35 yo-yo. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll never hear a bad word said about the regular yo-yos just because Robbie couldn't work one, but this does seem ill-conceived. And mm. we're getting loads of messages in. I didn't warrant or I didn't invite them, but I'm loving the worst inventions or overrated inventions of all time. We've had everything from indicators on GCC spec cars, particularly yeah, enjoy that. Corkscrew like with those lever arms, worst invention ever. Wayne says sliced bread. <laughs> says Wayne. Of course Wayne's in touch. Uh, it is actually because everyone says it's the best thing since sliced bread and sliced bread isn't actually that great is it i thought that was a bit of a joke is it not 
Well, it is. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, exactly, because it's not that great. I don't know, is it? I don't know. I don't know what the origin of that is, but I'd be keen to look it up because yeah. I'm not sure. Someone else says the finger spinners. Kids were mad over these for a while, then they disappeared. Luca, hey, listen, I'm on board with this, Luca. Says the iPhone in terms mm. of the most overrated invention ever. I can't agree with you. Yeah. Keep them coming in. I love your suggestions. Anyway, it's weird how times change, isn't it? Because nowadays, to call something adequate nowadays oh, is, is, is damning it with yeah, faint praise, isn't negative. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was yeah. adequate. Yeah. You know, that meal I had, I suppose it was adequate. Yeah, it's like saying meh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You wouldn't associate that with any positivity whatsoever. Yet back in the day, in 1974, I came across a thing called the National Adequate Wiring Bureau, <laughs> and they based their whole business premise on being adequate. In other words, doing what they were supposed to do. Their goal was to encourage homes to have proper code-compliant electoral wiring. They weren't brilliant. They weren't superb. They weren't incredible. They were adequate. And you knew, you knew that if you went to their business and, you know, you, you hired their services, you would get a good, solid, adequate you'd job from the them. You'd meet the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah exactly. At you'd, least. You'd be mildly satisfied with your customer experience. <laughs> mm. And that was fine. And they would advertise that as such. In the newspaper, they would take out big one-page advertisements saying National Adequate Wiring Bureau. <laughs> we will do an adequate job. Quite like and people it. were yeah. kind of okay with it. But in today's culture, and there was also something I came across, I think this is from the same kind of era, where there, were a miss, there was a Miss Typical Awards. Now, of course, a Miss Typical Awards now would be seen to be unbelievably un-PC. Miss, miss Typical, miss as in you're just yeah, like as typical. average as possible. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that not is, nice. Now it's all about standing out. Back then, Miss Typical was like, oh, Miss Typical, yeah. Yeah, she won it last week. <laughs> yeah, that is... In 2021, you ain't getting that past Miss Typical. I like that. 1974. Got another question for you after overrated inventions. Best ever film sequels? Oh, Terminator, undoubtedly. Uh, Godfather, I know you're going to say that, so that would be up there. Uh, Terminator and The Godfather. Probably Rocky. Rocky. Ooh, yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe they would be the thing. I'll tell you one. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is, yeah. That's the four. Anyway, I mean, Michael Corleone, uh, uh, Vito Corleone, the two sort of mm. twin narrative threads that go through the epic Godfather Part 2. Personally speaking, I think, it, I think I prefer it to the first Godfather, which is amazing as well. Let's have a little clip from it. This is the scene where Michael Corleone rumbles his brother, Fredo. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. Make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Oh, that is such a good. And he grabs him by both cheeks and yeah. sort of kisses him on the lips, and he's like, "I know it was you." It's a brilliant scene, it and is. he's got this really jovial kind of Cuban music mm. playing in the background as he's kind of Telling confronting him. him. And then, of course, you've got all the scenes from uh, the young Vito Corleone, played amazingly by Robert De Niro Correct. as well, arriving in New York from off the boat and kind of building his empire in the early stages. And um, I'll tell you a couple of things about the film. Francis Ford Coppola was so traumatised by making the first film that he actually didn't want to direct the second one. He suggested that Martin Scorsese be the director for the second one. The studio wanted Coppola, so the studio was paramount. They insisted on him. He said, as a bluff, pay me $1 million and I'll do it. 
and they agreed. And of course, one million dollars would be nothing now, would it? I mean, yeah. basically for a film director, but yeah. back then it was a big ask. Um, here's, a, here's a stat for you. Great, great quiz question. I wonder whether William Mullally would get this. Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro are what? Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro are what? Heck of an actor for a start. What are they? They have accomplished something without knowing it. Without knowing it. Does that, does that make sense? They weren't in on it, but they've accomplished something nonetheless. I'll tell you. They're the only actors to win Oscars for playing the same character. Ah, oh, wow. That wow. is a really cool fact. Wow, that is yeah. a good fact. That's a great pub quiz question. That yeah. is good, isn't it? Now, John Wayne and Jeff Bridges were nominated for playing the same character, a character called Rooster Cogburn yes, in True, True Grit. Grit. Yes. But Brando and De Niro are the only ones to ever win them for portraying the same figure in film. Huh. Robert De Niro speaks eight words of English in The Godfather Part Two. He spent months studying the Sicilian dialect in order to play the role of Vito. And he went to Sicily to research. He said they have a very distinct mannerisms, the way of acting and like speaking. And he felt he needed to know it thoroughly, like the back of his hand to see it for himself. And, and obviously he played just, it's probably his best ever role, isn't it? Ooh. Vito Corleone. Mm. I mean, the way he... Raging the, bull, taxi driver, keep fear. I mean, pff, that man has done some incredible work. Vito Corleone, Godfather 2, I'm with you, Rob, incredible. But that man has done heck of a work mm. in an awful lot of films. Uh, this was also the year where Tobe Hooper to put together... Who? Toby Hooper. Tobe Hooper. Is it Tobe or Toby? I don't know. He's the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I did not know that. And he gathered a group of unknown actors. They ventured out into central Texas to make a horror movie. They filmed it in blistering temperatures. There was a shoestring bud budget. It was kind of the Blair Witch Project before its time. It was filmed on a budget. It was very shaky cameras, and it was extremely disturbing. And I did, producer Rog did clip something up. We're not going to play it. You don't need to hear Texas Chainsaw Massacre or any thereof. Even the trailer is unsettling. Mm. It's not a true story, though. I've got that little fillet yeah, for it, you, Chris. It is, though, They used loosely. it in marketing, and just like the Blair Witch Project, which was, which was essentially the four students that went missing in the mm. woods, they marketed that as kind of one of those yeah. early internet true stories. This also promoted the fact that these guys went to Texas, they were never seen again. There was this uh, idea planted that this was based on a true story. But it was based but it it's loosely on, on a, a gentleman by the name of Ed Gein. I've actually yeah. done some extensive reading on Ed Gein, one of the, the worst kind of in terms of deplorable sickening acts that he did we're going back 110 years 100 years or so loosely based on his uh, yeah rather kind of deplorable acts we, we won't go into that no this um, is crazy though last stat for you on this Tobe Hooper or Toby still don't know how to pronounce that <laughs> he wanted a PG rating for his film so that's why there isn't that much gore or blood in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A lot of the violence is suggested. It happens just off screen. And, you know, you've watched it. I found it deeply disturbing, quite Absolutely. frankly. Absolutely. The idea that this film could be given a PG rating when you consider the, the plot the of it. It's the family that's unsettling. Forget Leatherface. It's the family mm. that will leave you freaked out. Have you ever seen it? So I have not, no. Oh, 
Yeah. I mean, after this description, stays with you. Get, I don't think I will. Get the girls round one Friday night. Okay. <laughs> Turn off the lights. It's not a rom com. It's sure. not. <laughs> but yeah, get your get your posse round. Yeah. And watch it. It's yeah, it's frightening. It's bone chilling. The other classic film, The Land That Time Forgot. Never seen it. Uh, dinosaurs and oh, yeah. uh, uh, all that course. sort of stuff. They were, they were glove puppets. This shows you how many leaps and bounds cinema made between 1974 and 20 years later, 1994, 1993, I think it was, when Jurassic Park came out and you had the animatronics and obviously right. the dinosaurs that were so realistic. Here they were glove puppets. They were three feet high. Wow. Feet yeah. Brilliant. Wayne is rightly pointing out in the text lines you need blooming big hands for a three foot high glove puppet. Uh, puppet? puppet. Uh, it might have been a model. I'm not sure, Wayne. I need to look into this, but you've made a very salient point there and you've exposed perhaps just maybe a little small gap in my research. <laughs> right there, a small, I think a large right. gap. Okay, let's go to one of the biggest hits from 1974. Uh, let's take a listen. Take it away. Bob Marley and the Wailers, of course. Their first hit when it was released as a single from his album Live, which was recorded at the Lyceum in London. And um, I'm amazed by that, that this was his actual first hit. This was his first? Yeah. That's incredible. It's an amazing song. Every time you hear it, you just can't help but sway and be put in a good mood. Yeah, you just feel like you're on a beach somewhere with a coconut. I have to admit, I'm not a Bob Marley fan. Got to be honest about that. that Yourself, Sonal? Yeah, listen, I, I can't call myself a fan because I probably know a handful of the main commercial songs, and I but I enjoy them. Yeah. Mm. Puts you in a mood, you know? It, it does. I'm okay. so on that. Moving on to a, um, a song which you will find on actually a movie that's made its way onto Netflix, I've noticed recently, yes, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. This is the first single from Queen's third album, which is called Sheer Heart Attack. Let's take a listen to it. It was, their, it was probably one of their first real big breakout singles, this. The, be- the breakout, of their real kind of breakthrough to global superstardom came at, in their next album, A Night at the Opera. If you've watched the film, you'll know that they, they'd brought out Killer Queen. They were kind of, their record producer was urging them to create something similarly poppy. Mm. And Freddie Mercury had this notion that he wanted to do some kind of rock opera. And that's what gave rise to Bohemian Rhapsody, which we, you probably hear in next year's time capsule. But um, he fought against all the executives who, who said that the song was too long, that it was yeah. too grandiose, that it was too pompous. And of course, now it's arguably one of the greatest rock tracks of all time. Yeah, I have that. So I went to the Freddie Mercury Museum in Zanzibar. Oh, did you? Like he, he obviously grew up there yeah. and so he has his early house. They've turned it into a museum. It's very small. But what the coolest thing I thought about it is they have all of his handwritten notes of lyrics. So you can actually see awesome. his handwritten lyrics oh. and songs that you've never heard of on Queen, like things he probably wrote for well before. And just getting a sense of reading the lyrics over time, it's just an interesting oh, interesting yeah. thing to Incredible. see, for sure. Yeah, Brian so May said in Q Magazine back in 2008, he's, he called Killer Queen the perfect pop record and one of Freddie's greatest songs, beautifully constructed, and it's also got one of the solos that I'm most proud of, mm. says Brian May. Now, this, I guarantee you, Chris McCarty has been swaying to this in a 
cheesy nightclub sometime, probably near Fockabers, sometime around 2001, 2002. Let's have a listen. Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas. Um, He got the idea for the song when he saw two kids in London doing some Kung Fu moves, apparently, and he thought, I'll capitalise, I'll cash in on that little craze. It was, of course, when Bruce Lee, Enter the Dragon, Way of the Dragon, was in the cinemas, and everyone was obsessed with Kung Fu, and a Jamaican called Carl Douglas decided (laughs) to do a song about it. Um, It would probably probably get accused of cultural appropriation these days. It would, and that makes me sad a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, because there's something charming about it. We return now to the Chris McCarty romance playlist, (laughs) 101. One. Come on, Chris. In a time we've loved, <laughs> we've shared love and made us. It doesn't seem to me like Again, in Fockabers, 2002, 2003, this would have been wheeled out at some point. You know what this was? Every time, Ally McBeal. Yes. McBeal. I see the little dancing oh, baby every time I hear this. Body White. What a distinct <laughs> voice. <laughs> This song charted at number one and Rolling Stone ranked it 281st on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, And it just puts Barry White in the kind of, alongside Isaac Hayes as a kind of precursor to the disco. A soul yeah. legend. Mm. A soul legend. Now, this next song, now we're cooking on gas. Yeah, we really are now. This, and I've actually oh. included the duet. I think I've popped the live version in. George Michael. Oh, and, is... uh, yeah, I know you're going to enjoy this, Chris. Oh, I watched it on YouTube genuinely about two weeks ago. get a flood of messages you might think that's a bit weird jumping on YouTube to watch George Michael and Elton John the reason for that I did watch uh, Rocketman very recently of course okay. the uh, wonderful movie about the life and times of Elton John and me and the missus were just blown away by the film mm. we jumped on YouTube and we're just kind of catching up and, and that was one of the, uh, the the videos that we stumbled across and that duet it's mm. incredible George Michael Elton John it's amazing I'm not a fan of either of them but I can get on board with that song yeah. and that duet yeah, the I two of them say, work together really yeah, well. I mean, Jesus to a child and last Christmas, you can absolutely take that and leave it, actually. <laughs> but that one I can get yeah, on board. And uh, Bernie Taupin wrote pretty much all of Elton John's song lyrics. He wrote this song as well. He said of the song, um, he said he likes to be more interesting than a good old I love you, you love me, my heart will break if you leave me. So he said he threw in a curveball, don't let the sun go down on me, puts a dark twist mm. on the lyrics, he said. But then when you've got George and Elton warbling at the top of their voice, there's not much of a dark twist there, is it? (laughs) Exactly. It's not brooding and kind of menacing, is it? It's Elton John in a velvet jacket, you know, (laughs) 
was standing a, on a podium. He was wearing a baseball cap in this video, I think, because he came on. I think it was George Michael. Memory served me correct. It was George Michael's concert, and Elton John just happened to be there. George Michael had taken Elton John's song, and Elton just ambles his way out, and then they produce a bit of magic on stage. Now, we heard last week Leonard Skinner's Freebird, one of my favourite rock songs of all time, and this track is equally popular, I would say. Cameron Poe, Cyrus the Virus. It's all about Conair. I'll say it now. It's Nicholas Cage's best film is Conair. It's got nothing not, to do with Not that much Skinner. competition for his best uh, film. Listen, Nicholas be Cage, fair. bless his cotton socks. He's in a bit of bother, I think, in the last couple of weeks. I was reading some tales about Nicholas. And, but hey, Cameron Poe, Conair, John Malkovich is Cyrus the Virus. We're cancelling Cagey. What about Face Off? <laughs> nah, nah, give me Conair all day long. Cameron Poe, he's wearing this long hair. He's obviously been released from prison. Don't want to give too much away. It's not aged well, that film, though, has it? Well, I've not watched it in a while. I watched it recently and it hasn't. I mean, it's it's definitely... (laughs) Cyrus the virus. Anyway, just a little story on Sweet Home Alabama. They're actually taking a pop at uh, legendary singer Neil Young in this song. The lyrics um, read, I hope Neil Young will remember a southern man don't need him around anyhow. Because Neil Anyhow, Neil Young had written songs which implied that people in the American South were, eh, how should we put this? Somewhat narrow-minded in their Ooh, views, somewhat stuck in the past. Let's just give it, that's the complimentary way of kind of right. interpreting what he said. And Leonard Skinner basically wanted a song which was all about Southern pride, about all the good things in Alabama. And actually, they got on very well. They had a lot of mutual respect for one another, did Neil Young and Leonard Skinner. So all's well that ends well. There's only really one place to start in sport for 1974. It's an event that we have covered on this show, I think, more than once before in the three years that this show's been on air. It's a legendary sporting event. It's arguably the greatest ever sporting event. You'd certainly put it in the top ten, Chris. Have a listen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder. If we accept that Muhammad Ali is the greatest sportsman of all time, mm. we ourselves ranked him as such in the infamous GOAT show, Chris. Indeed, we did. Then his greatest moment is surely a contender for the greatest sporting event of all time. Ergo. Yeah, very good point. Zaire 1974, Rumble in the Jungle, that was, and the build up. I want to play this little clip because Muhammad Ali, a master in the ring, and out of it, well, he had no peer. I have tussled with a whale out of handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. Now, you know I'm bad. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> that is amazing. It's one of those things that we've heard it so many times, yeah. but each time I get the same amount of glee it's from it. Incredible. That's what it is. It's been described by a number of commentators as arguably the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. It was a major upset. Foreman was unbeaten. He was 40-0 going into the fight. He had absolutely laying waste to the division. Ali was coming off the back of serving time in jail for his refusal to um, 
uh, sign up conscription yeah. for Vietnam and and all the intrigue and the kind of attention that that drew on him. He had gotten back into the ring. He'd lost, I believe, to Joe Frazier in the fight of the century. They would go on to have a trilogy. He was not fancied at all against George Foreman. George Foreman was much younger. He was devastating. He was the kind of Mike Tyson of his day. And Ali employed this famous rope-a-dope tactic whereby he just let Foreman punch himself out, very elusive on the ropes, and then in the eighth round struck back with a great combination. And uh, just watching it, the crowd, just that atmosphere, oh. what, what that must have been like. I tell you what, if I could be transported to yeah, one sporting event, correct. probably would be that one. Yeah, be just to that. be in that crowd in Zaire to watch those two fight with all the craziness. Don King was involved as the promoter in the build-up. Watch When We Were Kings, that's all I will it's say to great, you. It's a great question, that. You could be transported back to one sporting event and one sporting event only. You're going for Zaire 19... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, that was off the top of my head. Okay, let's play this little clip because in football, Germany beat the Netherlands 2-1 in the World Cup final and courtesy of goals by Paul Breitner and Gert Muller. Have a listen to this commentary of Muller's winner. Muller there to support him. Going on his own. Now Muller looks for it. Gets it. Oh, that's the way that little man gets them. That's the way he gets it. It looked utterly impossible for him to swing his boot back and get hold of it. That's the way that little man gets him. It's not exactly complimentary, is it? That's the way he gets him. Yep, it's ugly as hell, but he gets him. <laughs> now, I've got a stat for you, Chris, before we wrap up, OK? And you, I know you love a stat. Now, in that match, it was Johan Nieskins who'd given the Netherlands the lead via the penalty spot in the second minute. How about this for a stat? I know the stat. No German player had touched the ball Correct. when Cruyff was fouled by Uli Hoeneß. Yeah. It was the total football. Renus Mikkels, the Dutch. The Netherlands were in front yeah. before a German player had touched the ball. They kept it. Opened the game. They kicked off. They kept it for two minutes. He gets into the box. He's fouled. They score the penalty. And Germany would and come And still back. the Germans win. And still the Germans women win. So they do. The Dutch, that is arguably the greatest team to never win the World Cup. I know a lot of people will talk about the Brazilian side of Socrates and Zico, etc. That Dutch team, total football, Johan Cruyff, travesty that they never got over the line. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.